This is The Art of Warcast, a podcast about card games and board games. Your hosts are Tobin Lopez, Carl Anderton, and Doug Keister. Brad Andres breaks the first rule. All right, welcome. I'm Tobin Lopez. I'm Carl Anderton. I'm Doug Keister. What are we up to today, Carl? <laughs> <laughs> you tell me, sir. We've got Brad Andres on the line. Yeah, enough said. Uh, Brad Andres, who is a uh, designer developer for a lot of the games we love, uh, Warhammer 40K Conquest, Keyforge, he was the developer with Richard Garfield on that. He, L5R. He's done L5R. <laughs> he's done Lord of the Rings uh, stuff. He's done Net Arkham Runner Horror stuff. stuff. He's done yeah. Netrunner stuff. Yeah. Kind of a big one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's done just a, every any card game that you've touched that we've probably played, he's probably had a hand in in some way or another. Um, he's a friend of the pod, and uh, he has a new game coming out, which is his first. Are you sure we can talk about it, though? Yes, we can. We've we've broken that rule a couple of times already. I'm going to reduce the level of that joke. <laughs> yeah. the way right now. So, you know. I, I sorry. Had to had to put one I mean, more one in there. More in there. We, we, we did it enough during testing. Let's be fair. So, you know. so for those of you uh, who may not have heard the last couple episodes of ours, the fight Fight Club the home game is set to be released by Mondo Games. It is uh, Brad's design. It is a yeah, my first my first solo design. Your, actually, I was gonna say so. I didn't know, but I thought I thought it might be your first game, uh, not necessarily released by Mondo that you had a hand in, but your first solo game by Mondo, with your there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about Fight Club, the home game. Well, again, you know, ha 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 jokes. Not supposed to talk about it, but I think it's finally. <laughs> Time to talk about it, because this game's been floating around in, in some shape or form since 2017, actually. And there were some hiccups and some changes that happened at Mondo, and eventually I came on board. And I started design from scratch, gosh, probably April 2020, which I'm sure you guys... That was kind of a weird time, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just a bit. For sure. Um. Um, yeah, so Fight Club the Home Game is a head-to-head deck building game uh it's asymmetrical and the really big uh twist of it all is the same twist is in the film and spoiler alert for anyone that doesn't want to be spoiled right now uh the players play as tyler durden and the narrator who's never given a name in the film right uh, right but they, they both are the same person and so they both have the same deck um and that's the big twist uh, i've never played a deck building game in which both players literally are using and building the same deck. Um, and so that was really where I kind of started with the concept was that just, ah, let me just go off the beaten trail and do something no one's ever done before. So <laughs> well, I have a curiosity question regarding that. What sort of brief were you given by Mondo for the game? If you, uh, if you, you know, can tell us. It, it was mostly like, uh, okay, well, Brad, pitch us, a, pitch us a Fight Club deck builder, to be honest. Or not even deck builder, just pitch us a Fight Club game. Um, we had originally said the game was going to be a deck builder back in the day, so I kind of wanted to honor that mm-hmm. um, for anyone that had gotten excited back when it was first announced in 2017. Um, but I wanted to do my own thing with it. And so, again, that's why we completely restarted design and development in April. Um and man, I'm I'm really pleased with how it came out. 
Yeah, and and uh, so to full disclosure to the audience, the three of us were playtesters for the game. I remember plenty of nights. Uh, Carl and I uh, sat over a table and just kept playing, kept playing, kept playing, kept talking about what was, what we liked, what we didn't like, what we liked, what we didn't like, um, and it came out famously. Yeah, we 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 put some hours into t- testing before, but this might be the most intensively one worked on one we've done. Absolutely, there. Yeah. I, I easily think I played more games of this as a play tester than I've played in in all the other games. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and it well, came it out was, brilliantly. You know, I was really thankful for all your guys' hard work. Um, you know, it was a weird time coming on board and moving from Fantasy Flight, where there was a whole bunch of established resources to a, a small company that was kind of getting its kind of getting its um, you know game industry legs uh, and still is uh, you know we're still developing stuff but at the time I didn't have any playtester network uh, it was you know stuff that we were building on the fly while the pandemic was raging uh, so it was a really <laughs> yeah, that, weird time <laughs> I keep you know the the common a, a common question about this is what was your greatest challenge in designing this game and like <laughs> well after the pandemic after social justice issues because you were still in you were working for Mondo which is located in Texas but you were still living in Minnesota because of the pandemic right yeah yeah, yeah no, so you know, it was it, it was a weird time you know I was trying to figure out uh how how the heck I was going to get down to Texas because you know, I'd taken the job at Mondo before the pandemic had really gotten into full swing. I think it was mid to late February when I had decided I was going to make the move. And my last day at Fantasy Flight was actually, you know, Friday the 13th in March, um, which, you know, yes. <laughs> maybe that had something to do with it. That, but, yeah, that uh, was the – well, wasn't that the red letter day? That was the day was that mid- every, everything – like the NBA canceled their games – and I, I remember yeah. that being the big tilting point. Yeah, it's, it's at least within a week of the, oh, wow, this is for real kind of yeah. point. Yeah. yeah, It took several oh, days to, after that to sort of unroll, but yeah, I think yeah. that's sort of when it started. Yeah. I, I, remember, I remember that weekend I went out to uh, the Alamo Draft House, which is actually Mondo's parent company. I don't know if you guys knew that. Did not. Um, yeah. I not, knew there was a relationship. Oh. I didn't know what it was, but yeah, cool. Huh. Um, yeah, Mondo actually started as a... Uh, little rogue T-shirt company in the <laughs> hall, like the front hall entrance of an Alamo draft house. That's how the company got started about like ten years ago. Now. Okay, all right, um, that's pretty neat. And so, you know, I was going out to the draft house, kind of celebrating, and uh, so with my girlfriend, and you know, we see over the news that flights to Europe, to and from Europe, have just been canceled. And that was the moment, because I had a buddy that had just flown to Ireland that day. And I was like, oh, no, is he going to be able to get back? Is he going to be stuck in Ireland? <laughs> like, it, was a, it, was a whole, it was a whole thing. That was a weird time. Yeah. Crazy yeah. stuff. Crazy stuff. Uh, but looking at the game, like when you think about the design and, you know, the design took uh, quite some time. But what was the most rewarding part of it for you? Like between where was that point where you said – yeah, this is this is it. This is. Did you ever come to that one of those points? You know, it took a bit. You know, every game when you when you first design it starts off really rocky, um, and usually you're just kind of looking for that first kernel of fun. Mm-hmm. And with Fight Club, honestly, 
the the decision making process. Uh, we'll get into it a little bit, but there's some particular. The majority of the cards in the game are what we call split cards, mm-hmm. and so they have a different effect for either the narrator or Tyler, depending on who plays them. And when I knew I had something was when I was watching players be really thoughtful about how they were purchasing cards and i was like ah yes i found i found a a very cool way to evolve the concept of a deck builder and that's when it really felt like it was all all, all was like okay i've got i've got something here i've got a game i just have to make the rest of it not suck yeah 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 (laughs) well and and that goes to right if i remember correctly and it's it's been a while in my brain as well um the the challenge was in finding the flavor of either side of each role mm-hmm. and how those how that flavor was was represented on the split cards the 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 you know narrator only in the the Tyler Durden only cards those were fairly clear but i remember going back and forth on the split cards going what are the what is Tyler's side of the split cards trying to do? What are the narrator side of the split cards trying to do? How do we balance that? I remember a lot of conversation mm-hmm. about that too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, because you you you're dealing with one card pool, and in most deck building games, of course, you're just like, well, I can make all the red cards do one thing. I can make all the blue cards do a different kind of thing, and it's a lot easier to build in different play patterns and and combos to go for and efficiency engines that people want to build toward. And this had to layer all of those on top of each other Mm -hmm. and really find ways that cards could be interpreted in multiple different like strategies. And that was really, you know, that was a, that was a whole, that was the whole thing. Uh, I would probably spend the most, play testing time just refining the card pool and trying to set the boundaries for what each player can and can't do you know in in order to really bring forth their character if that makes any sense at all the interesting part of this as well and i i don't i don't know if you guys have played very many deck builders i haven't i have a few um but i don't remember there being a board uh in this case there is a literal board there is a at least in your mm. illustrations. Now, for those of you who, are, who have missed it, and we didn't mention it earlier, Brad has written kind of a designer's diary on Board Game Geek. So you can find that under Fight Club, the home game on Board Game Geek. And there's a designer diary alongside that from the graphic designer of the game, Brad. Is that right? Yeah, Chris Bilheimer. He oh, is fantastic. Yeah, nice. yeah. Um, so we have two, and then I think we're going to be getting a couple more up, and then hopefully be getting a designer diary published to the main Board Game Geek site. Um, and so you should pop, see that pop up in the news feed, but that'll be a little closer to the release of the game. Cool, cool. cool. And uh, due to you know international shipping crap, do we even do you have even a guess as to when this game might hit, hit the shelves? Um, well, it will be for sale at Gen Con. Oh, okay, awesome. wonderful. Um, so yeah, twenty nine ninety nine at Gen Con. You can find it at the Mono Mondo booth. Right. We're in the right corner of the ex, like the far bottom right corner of the exhibition hall. Okay. So we shouldn't be too hard to find. 
Uh, but we only are going to be bringing so many copies, so make sure yeah. you get there quick if you're going to Gen Con and want to get a copy of Fight Club. All right, all right, <laughs> wonderful. So then, um, but then, then retail release hopefully shortly after that, within a month of Gen Con, hopefully Octoberish. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, again, you know, global cool. shipping is a nightmare right now, so yeah, like take all of that with a grain of salt. But it will be on sale at Gen Con. Um, I've seen copies. I've had held copies in my hand from some <laughs> advanced shipments, so. We will have them at Gen Con, but, uh, you know, retail is a different story. Just still figuring out logistics. It's hard to make promises around that right now. Yeah. So how exciting is it to hold your first solo design in your hands? Uh, it's crazy, man, uh, especially with how crazy beautiful this game is. Uh, you know, we definitely go on BGG and read that designer diary from Chris Bilheimer, but Chris is really just a, a phenomenal graphic designer. He's worked extensively in the record industry that's where he's really got his uh you know teeth in uh and he's done album cover after album cover neutral milk hotel he's the album cover artist for rem because mm-hmm. you went to huh. went to college with one of the members of REM. oh that's cool nice. that's wonderful and, how the business works. so they're they're really good friends so he's done everyone he did uh the american idiot lincoln park uh, excuse me, Green Day cover with the heart grenade. That's him. Oh, okay. Uh, so, like, he's a really iconic album artist, and he works with the Alamo and stuff, and uh, Mondo, too. And so we got him for Fight Club, and let me tell you, his creative genius just kind of just oozes out of that whole game. Yeah. Jeez. I mean, yeah. that's always one of the fun parts for us, because we'll we'll very often look at a game and see it purely in mechanical form, you know, the test versions and get mm-hmm. to play it and try it out. And then eventually we get the whole, look at this when it turns up. And with the, uh, with the designer yeah. you've got that, that sounds like a fantastic thing when it turns up. Like, wow. I can't wait to see yeah. it. No kidding. Yeah. Now, as Tobin was mentioning the um, board side of things there, because I think you're talking oh, about... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Excuse yeah. me, I, I, I get distracted. That's no, no, right. no, no problem. <laughs> it, was, it was a good <laughs> aside, I'm not complaining. But I, I was going to mention how, in the cards themselves, you talked about a lot how you play out the duality of the game. The idea that um, <laughs> players are making decisions based on, do, um, on whether a card is good for them and not as good as it could be or bad for the opponent. You know, they're, they're trying to balance that as they buy cards. Um, the board mm-hmm. itself, though, is a little more direct on that front. Can you talk about that design? Yeah, so I wanted another element, whereas the the deck and the cards in it is very representative of the character's shared body. I also mm-hmm. wanted to illustrate their their struggle over their mind. And so I wanted a separate arena on which they were also battling to make it more a little more dynamic and to give a couple more hooks for play patterns to to latch on to. Um, so there's this this what we call the mind control board in the center. It's shaped like a brain, and there's two <laughs> lobes, the left and right lobe to it. And one lobe has effects that are generally beneficial to Tyler. The other has effects that are generally beneficial to the narrator. And the players can spend their resources to move a control token, which kind of illustrates the current state of their mind of who has control, because that's a, you know, that's a shifting thing throughout the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to, again, capture that element from the film. The players can spend their resources to move that token, and then there's card effects that will trigger powers based on the location of that token. So it's, oh, on, right, right, the, right. it's on the Tyler side, and the narrator triggers it, well, those effects aren't going to be quite as good for the narrator. They can still use them. They'll still you know, be helpful. 
but the they really shine when Tyler activates them. So the narrator's going to have to also spend more resources to move it to their side to get a beneficial effect first. Um, and so really it has this great tug-of-war element. Uh, on top of that, each side has a special... Uh, we call we call them uh, brain powers mostly because you know mm-hmm. that's funny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so the Tyler side has one that furthers his win condition, and the narrator's uh, has one that furthers their ability to buy cards because that's part of their like shtick, mm-hmm. uh, right, and consumerism, right. and uh, you know power purchasing and capitalism is really the narrator's uh, purview. And right. so they get to buy any card they want for free. Um, so they they have these special powers that are exclusive only to them, but they have to fight this big tug of you know resource tug of war in order to debate their powers. Mm-hmm. You, you, um, you talk about how um, focused either side is to to either playstyle, but some of the most fun moments for us in testing was occasional times when someone would use you know as the narrator would use a Tyler side ability to good effect and you know mess people up. Yeah, and surprising yeah. little um, jumps there, which kind of reinforces how much it's a battle within themselves, not just you know there's not it's not separate. You know exactly, and 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 when you watch the film, you can see how. The, the narrator and uh, Tyler are learning from one another, mm-hmm. and they very much are separate personalities. They are separate people trapped in the same body. Mm-hmm. It's good stuff. Okay, so I have to ask, how many times did you watch the movie as you were designing the game? Um, far too many. Uh, <laughs> gosh, uh, probably at least 30, 40 times. Oh my gosh! Wow. And you and, and based on the based on the name of the cards, you were taking notes a lot of those times. Yeah, yeah. no, uh, it was <laughs> it was it was a lot of back and forth. I probably watched it five six times right off the bat, and then just when I was working on it, I would just have it playing in the background and uh, just to get myself in the right mind space and to catch any little references. And really, part of this whole experience was becoming an expert on the film. Um, yeah, no, it, it was it was crazy. We actually uh, we did, you know, because a lot of names are easy to come with. But we actually sat down in a draft house um, that was located near my apartment in Texas after I had moved down. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tim League, who is one of the co-founders of the Alamo Draft House, and uh, has a big stake in the games department at Mondo. Uh, got uh, one of his projectionists to come in and we watched Fight Club on the big screen um, while the theaters were still closed. You know, Tim was sitting on the other end of the theater from me so we could be socially distanced and safe. But, you know, we sat down and both of us made giant lists of every single card name we could possibly oh, extract from wow. the script <laughs> while we watched the film in the theater. It was it was a pretty crazy, interesting experience. Um That's- well, yeah, I mean, and there, and if memory serves, like so many times, you've you've done a wonderful job of aligning the name of the card with, at least, uh, partially with what the card does, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, talking about um, it what drips it? flavor yeah. and feeds, oh, yeah. basically. It's, you know, it, for those of you. Who, uh, so, so I, I've talked about this ad nauseum, but Fight Club was one of my twenty-something group's favorite movies. So we had it on. I mean, I've probably seen it thirty times. I didn't see it in the format that 
Brad has. But <laughs> I, I, I saw it all those times. And every time I'm looking at these cards and I'm reading these lines and I'm like, I know where that is set in the movie. Right, like it's such a it's such a quote of a film. Yeah, my name is Robert Paulson. Right, you know, like like in death, members of Project Mayhem have a name. <laughs> like I I remember all that shit, and it's just like it's just weird how those things pop into my head every day. And this game is just doing such a wonderful job of evoking those I things. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, we, we make the running joke. Like everyone, how how many different places can you think of? Right this second, that use the the Fight Club joke. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Rule number Everybody. one, etc., etc. You know, we will, we will again. We will not state it clearly because it's so overdone. And then ex- expanding that out into the the, the the quotes you'll know anyway. You know, I am Jack's total lack of surprise and all this stuff. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, how many times did we say that in the in game when things went badly? Well, you know, so considering all the theme and everything, it's it's well, so in the movie. Uh, Marla is pro- is kind of a problem character. She also presented problems during playtesting, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, well, yeah, can you talk yeah. about some of the challenges with bringing Marla into the game? Yeah, well, Marla's an incredibly important character to both the story and, you know, I wanted to respect her presence in both the film and the game. Um... And originally we had a mechanic that had players fighting over Marla, but I really just hated how that felt. It felt so misogynistic. It felt so much like turning women into objects, and it was just really uncomfortable. And so we abandoned that pretty quickly uh, early on in the testing um, just because it it just felt wrong and it it wasn't right. Yeah, Um, yeah, agreed. And so we, we changed it up, and eventually Marla landed as one of the card types in the game. Because I really felt like this empowered her as a character. These these are uh, these Marla cards are cards that either player can play, um, but their effect is always the same because Marla is her own independent person and affects the game according to her own wiles and whims. Um, and and that was that was such a hard um, balance to strike, and I wanted to do it really carefully uh, because she is so important because. Uh, what she represents to both the characters is so important. Yeah, and and um, in the movie, it's but it's a it's also a, it's a delicate balance because in the movie, for three quarters of the movie, you're like, she's the protagonist. She's the one causing the trouble, right? Mm-hmm. She's the one kind of in the way of of Tyler and the narrator doing what they need to do, and they're she's a source of angst between the two of them. And then it's reve- the big spoilers revealed that this is the same person. All of a sudden, she becomes the victim, the 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 tragic character mm-hmm. who's trying to deal with this extremely flawed individual. And you look mm-hmm. back and you see those other scenes. You're like, oh, wow, I totally get where she's coming mm-hmm. from now. Whereas before, it was like, wait, what? I don't get this. I don't understand. But then only upon second viewing do you understand. Mm-hmm. Ah, I get it now. And that's a very complex thing, and it's it, it was difficult to do in the in the movie. I think they pulled it off, and I think you did it well in the game as well with the card type. So yeah, no, again, I, I feel like Marla does have a very strong presence, especially since a lot of her cards, um, because they're the same for each player, 
you get into a weird spot where players are more hesitant to buy cards that potentially could help their opponent, or at least would potentially help their opponent just as much as them. Um, right, right. And, and Marla cards ended up being a little more like situational because of that. But when you have them in the right situation, they're some of the most powerful cards in the game. Agreed. <laughs> like I said, a, an unstabling, uh, yeah, an unstabling factor. You know, yeah. Dis- yeah. Dis- disabling. Yeah. The value. So, so this and this maybe leads us to the replayability of the game because one of the things I think, um, and I, and I've played a few deck builders. I I haven't played them very much because eventually the the novelty kind of wears off. Uh, but this one, I can see playing this kind of continuously over time because it's so different and so when you have that there's there's one game where early in the game you see a marla card and you're like i'm not going to get that there's i have no interest in getting that card let's skip it and then in the very next game it comes mid game and you know what other cards have been put into the deck and you're like that is the most important card in the world right now i <laughs> that needs to be in the deck um, for me to, you know, advance my advance my cause, so it's and and, and, and yeah, uh, Tobin, it just you, goes you, to variety. You, yeah, you you touched on something that has been a pet peeve of mine for deck builders and why I tend to burn out really quickly on them. And it's because after you've played them a couple times and you've seen those optimal strategies, they're solved. And yeah, exactly, they're solved. They're they're. They're perpetually this, like, well, I know what cards to buy. If they come up, I do well. If they don't come up, I don't do well. Mm -hmm. And you're always focused on making your deck as efficient and doing this one thing as you possibly can. You're trying to get your deck as small with as few cards as you need to win the game. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that process becomes so rote. But when you have two players, you know, messing with each other and screen up the deck and buying other cards that they wouldn't buy and then they're forced to use them now it's a completely different puzzle while still having that deck building element of like we are building this together but we're not helping each other we're screwing each other over uh again it, it for me really fights against that normal play pattern that deck builders have but i think it ends up being more rewarding because of it yeah, yeah, and, and then, and then you add in, you add in the deck building where you're where each player is building a shared deck, and then you add in their two separate win conditions. And I'm not going to go. I want to avoid details here, but the the narrator is buying stuff as you've said before, and the Tyler Durden is advancing Project Mayhem, right? And both of those things are tied into the deck itself and 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 they they affect what's in the deck itself and that those two things in and of themselves there's a there's a lot of variance there and i love that <laughs> i say make it it's it's variance in decisions it's not variance in it's it's not decisions being taken away from people we should make this clear here because right. there is a lot of there is a lot of not randomness but variety because i think you make a very good point there brad that in regular deck builders um, once once you have played them a few times and the strategies get established, people pick a favorite. I mean, even if yeah, there yeah. are optimal ones, I, I've played plenty of things like played a ton of Dominion, played a ton of um, Ascension with people for years mm-hmm. and years. Yeah. Um, uh, you'll trains from AEG. Trains another good one, yeah. And you'll see people come to the table and go, okay, I've got this thing in mind, right? I'll do that thing. And then when the cards don't come up for that thing, not only are they stumped in the game, but they don't have fun. 
you know, because right. they because they've taught themselves this is the way to play, and when they can't play that way, it falls apart. Well, this game basically goes. Uh, there is one thing you want to do, but you're going to have to figure out how every time. You've got to actually got to go in and go. How am I going to achieve this? Am I going to have that card? One thing we should make clear is there's a market you can buy cards from in the game, and one of the most common things you can do with that market is remove cards from it, is get them out. And it turns out that's probably the most important decision you can make, because if there's a card mm-hmm. on the table that you absolutely cannot bear to exist, then at least you can remove it, and your opponent has to go. Okay, the big one's gone. I'll have to work with what I've got. And the Tobin says figuring out that moving puzzle is fantastically interesting. It's not so much blocking player agency as causing player agency to evolve. Exactly. So you've got the, you've got the deck as you're, you're building it, and you've got you know, the marketplace, and you've got your, your win condition that you're trying to advance, but then you also have the board over here that's like, I can't let my opponent get full control of the other side of the board, so I need to you know worry about the, you know, the component over here. So you, there's, a, there's a back and forth to all of it that you, you know, there's multiple things you have to, to pay attention to if you're going to win the game. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a very fluid... Uh, sort of game. Yeah. I mean, I tension is the phrase. There's a tension between all those things. Be- yeah. Between you and the other player and what, how the game's interacting. It's a yeah, great little thing. Yeah. And, and Brad, I got to tell you, I got to give you some props here. I don't know in recent memory, and maybe Carl can correct me on this, I don't know in recent memory if Carl has been excited about a single game more than this one um, in the last couple of years. He's like, yeah, that's, I'm really excited about that game. I'm, but like, he's like, ch- like visually chomping <laughs> to get his hands on Fight Club. <laughs> that's a completely reasonable comment. Let's temper that a little bit with, I've been out with the board game industry for like a, over a year and a half, so there right. aren't many things I actually know about. Oh, but, right, right, right. But no argument there. I'm definitely like, yes, please, I'm ready for this one. So, you know. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. No, it's it's... It's a really, really fun and interesting project overall. Uh, Imondo gave me a lot of leeway and space to kind of develop the game that I felt was the best, and I really appreciated that. Um, they were very, very supportive of my vision, even when you know first presented. It seemed like a really crazy, radical thing. Mm-hmm. No, and the, and the twenty nine ninety nine price point is uh, about as ideal as you can get. Yeah, you know. People are gonna take a take. People who maybe don't know games are gonna see this on the shelf at Target, hopefully, and go thirty bucks for a Fight Club game, two player. Let's try it. Yep, right on that pickup space. Yeah, and you can get other people into the board game industry. Oh yeah, it's it. it uh, there, there's a. When I go to my local game store, there's a there's the, there's that class of games that uh, thirty bucks is kind of the high point on that, but. There's you know these just racks of like these little like pick up and play sorts of games uh, like the little you know escape room games and things like that that are just you know you, sometimes you find them just right beside the register of you know hey this is you know a like an impulse buy sort of game <laughs> so the game so Fight Club is priced in that sort of impulse buy easy pickup sort of game and it's a nice two player sort of warm up game to you know start like a game night with or something. You know, so and and it's also, hey, we're in a pandemic. There's only the two of us at home. What should we do? Let's play Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> how, so, how yeah. long? What's the predicted length on these games, Brad? I've I've played so like many play of time. them. I don't know what they are. Yeah. What's the uh, usually time? after after you've figured out the rules, and again, you know, first time you play through a game, it's always going to take longer. But, right. Uh, you know, for people that two people that know the rules, usually like 30, 45 minutes. Okay. Yeah, that seems about right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what, what, what would you say, uh, just out of curiosity, I, I think I have my own answer, but what's, which of the sides is, I don't want to say easier to play, but 
maybe more straightforward to play. New, new player friendly is yeah. it? Really about to pick. I, I'd say the narrator side. Um, okay. The the because the two win conditions. The narrator is trying to buy a bunch of furniture, ferny furniture, to yeah. furnish their condo. I love whereas, the, I love the theme on those cards. Well, well, Tyler is trying to fuel uh, resources into Project Mayhem to yeah. remove cards from the deck, and so I feel like the narrator's game loop is easier to see your pathway. It's easier to get that hit of dopamine when you finish a set of furniture and get a bonus off of it. Yeah. Um, whereas it is harder to tell whether you're making headway as Tyler, just because as you're pulling cards out of the deck, it doesn't always have that direct feel of I'm, I'm improving my chances of winning. Whereas yeah. I think if you get down to it, I find Tyler to be the more powerful role. It's just harder to play. Yeah, a little more of the control feel though, Tyler. Yeah, and I would agree with that. I would agree. Um, so what's so what's next on uh, Brad Andrews's Brad's and Mondo's uh, game in the in the game sphere of Brad and Mondo? Uh, what's coming up next? Oh man, um, you know I've got a, a little deduction game I'm working on um, that uses it's about pattern recognition. But I don't. It's not really far enough along to say too too much about it. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm I'm deeply interested in exploring what I'm going to call good movie games. Um, you know, we've all played a, a movie board game that would be really felt like the theme was pasted on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, I, and again, I'm not going to name any names of any companies or any games, but we've all played one of those games and. Either whether it's a board game or even a video game, the idea of capitalizing on a fan base uh, to create something as a cash grab is, is really prevalent out of movies. Uh, and I want to challenge that perception uh, with Mondo and build games that are thoughtfully created, inspired by the themes of the source material, but really developing them in a way that they become their own thing. Uh, and that's what I endeavored to do with Fight Club, and I'm really excited to do that with other other, other really intriguing IP and property. Uh, okay. Our connection with the Alamo Draft House has, you know, really opened up our possibilities and that, you know, that field we have great relationships with all of the major studios we are producing posters definitely if you haven't checked out mondo's posters you know that's really where mondo uh you know put their name on the map is in the premier like aftermarket movie poster company in the world really yeah hmm. and i've seen um, i've seen quite a there's San, the online san diego comic-con is going on as we record right and mm -hmm. there's quite a bit of offerings from mondo i'm i'm obviously on their email list and I'm getting these offerings. They're doing some video game posters, some old movie posters. Uh, they have, and these are on like time limited things. So maybe by the time you hear this, they're not available, but oh, they, def they definitely yeah. won't be available. Yeah. Our, our comic con yeah. ones tend to sell out immediately, but we do a drop, I believe every Thursday. Okay. Um, right. of, of okay. new content on our website. Wonderful. Um, like just uh, July first, or was it, I think it was July second, 
we had our second partnership with the Pokemon Company, and for Bidoof Day, we we did a Bidoof poster, <laughs> and 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 like, so so now you're laughing, but we're I think one of the only American companies or North American companies that has ever been allowed to do uh, any of our own illustrations of Pokemon. Yeah, wow. say that is such a lockdown thing, isn't it? That's remarkable. Yeah. So That's they, awesome. they have a lot of trust in, in Mondo. We also did a Detective Pikachu poster. Nice. Um, yeah, I remember which, seeing that one. I remember seeing that one. Yeah. So, so just just a just a fantastic company. Um, really enjoy my time there. Honestly, you know, if I had to say what I have my eye on, I really want to make some games based on classic classic cinema i'd really love to do some games based off of either like akira kurosawa's work or Ooh. alfred hitchcock Ooh. um just these classic directors that are, are creating masterpieces and just think just think of a, a board game of the birds <laughs> <laughs> well i was thinking nice. more along the lines of like no country for old men that would be amazing. <laughs> Cormac McCarthy is another good one. There you go. uh, yeah. The first Brothers movie. Actually, the Coen Brothers movie. The first thing that jumped into my mind was uh, Raymond Chandler. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd love to see, you know... Some good noir. Yeah, some good noir stuff. You know, the Maltese Falcon, uh, Dashiell Hammett with, like, the Thin Man, <laughs> stuff like that. You know, I, so, I do, I do a, a double indemnity. Oh, nice! <laughs> this is this um, is be great. I, I, I know we know kind of what the age range of our room listeners is, but there's going to be at least a forty percent going what? <laughs> well, googling furiously as we speak, right? Yeah. See, on yeah. the subject yeah. of classic movies, one last question from me: um, Do you feel you can watch Fight Club again? Uh you know, it's probably going to be a little bit before <laughs> I, before I watch it again. But yeah, no, it's it's a really well put together film. Uh, I really enjoy it. And I'll, I'll get around to watching it eventually, but uh, right now, right now, a little bit of break would be good. <laughs> yeah. So I was taking I've been a road to trip. Watch, uh, <laughs> movies that are a little less gritty. Oh yeah, no kidding, right? That's so a... I was taking a road trip to your local Alamo Draft House to see the movie with you is right out for now. <laughs> uh, probably, probably. So, uh, well, that's that's wonderful, Brad. What? How can people find you online? How can people find out what it is you're up to? Best place is my Twitter, which is honestly pretty much the only social media I monitor at all. And I am at Darvamus Prime. All right. Wonderful. Twitter. Wonderful. And Mondo Games, uh, Mondo Games website is like MondoGames.net or? Uh, we're, we're at MondoShop.com. MondoShop.com. I knew oh, it was right. something. Mondo Shop. I knew it wasn't exactly <laughs> what I what I instinctually would say which is what i guess i did say so well thank you very much brad thank you very much uh look forward to seeing you uh you're gonna be at gen con yeah i'll be at gen con all right so carl and i will be there uh we'll be working for um renegade game studios doing the vampire rivals so we're going to be doing some op work for those folks and um have a we, couple of cigars for me while you're out yeah there. absolutely <laughs> we'll be sure and get together and um, hopefully Fight Club, the home game, takes off and uh, people have fun. We can't recommend it strongly enough, folks. Again, thank you, Brad. Any last words? Uh, just thank you guys for having me on. And uh, thank you all out there for supporting me in my career. Uh, it means the world to me. 
Take care, folks. If you would like to join the discussion, have ideas for future episodes, feedback, or questions for us, you can contact us at artofwarcast at gmail.com, via Twitter at artofwarcast, or leave a comment in the episode's comment section. Please review us on iTunes. It helps others find us. Thank you for listening.